for the reading of God's holy word. We are uh, studying through Galatians together uh, and trying to grab a hold of a glorious truth that as followers of Jesus, we get to live by promise and not performance. Read one uh, verse, and really, if you were to, say, summarize the book of Galatians in one verse, in one statement, thematically, it would be Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to pray together. As we get ready to pray, you're a follower of Jesus. You've resolved this, I pray, just by way of reminder. It's not your life anymore. It's not my life anymore. Father, I thank you for Jesus. And to be crucified with Christ is far better than not to be. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, you would do a great work among us of helpfulness and correction, training in righteousness, and uh, that you would spur us on as we seek to live by promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can be seated, and uh, Galatians will be where we are. You can keep your Bibles open there. Galatians chapters 1 and 2 will be the um, primary place that we'll be. Uh, We've been using sort of a visual metaphor of sorts to get our minds. I'm a visual learner. How many of you are visual learners? By, and, and so we've got sort of a metaphor that, that we've been using of life on the frontier, right? And maybe you've seen uh, television shows like Little House on the Prairie or uh, Pioneer Woman. Is that, a, is that a show? I have to confess I haven't seen the Pioneer Woman, but is that where they maybe uh, cook like they used to? I don't know. I confess my, my ignorance. But sometimes Big ideas are hard to um, get a grasp of, and so we've been using that metaphor. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever call somebody to do something that's easy. It's not easy for Abraham to go out not knowing where he's going. It's not easy for Noah to live by faith and hold firm to convictions when no one else in his generation held them. It wasn't easy for Moses to leave behind living in Pharaoh's house, right? in order to be persecuted with the people of God. It's not easy for Esther to leverage her position in order to protect and preserve her people. And God is not a God who comes along and says, I don't want to intrude. I don't want to inconvenience your life. God interrupts everything, doesn't he? Have you ever been gloriously interrupted by God? He enters as Lord of the universe. Too often we make God out to be someone who's going to do a little something and has little plans, who demands little attention and little obedience. We make God that way in our own image. And friends, if God hasn't completely interrupted your life, it's likely you've never really listened to him. But we should know that his dramatic interruptions are always for our help and always for our healing. He does not interrupt to make a mess of our lives. He interrupts and intervenes in order to make life of our lives. So we've been using this metaphor and a couple things we've noticed. It's on the outline if you want to follow along in that way. Is that first that the faith frontier 
requires risk. We move beyond the settlement. One of the primary obstacles we're going to have in life as we seek to follow Jesus is our own love for ease and comfort. That's the settlement, right? We have a tendency to withdraw into a life that's a bit more manageable, a bit more comfortable, and a bit more safe. And the settlement offers us comfort because that's where most people live, right? There's sort of a safety in numbers mentality. And this mentality can even be prominent in the church. Church, the Greek word ekklesia, is literally the called out ones. Called out from the settlement, so to speak. Look in Galatians chapter 1 and beginning in verse 14. Paul says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles, but I went away into Arabia. He goes on to say, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, remained with him 15 days, verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. I love what he says there, that uh, he was doing a great work for God and he remained unknown in person. Friends, when you live in the settlement, sort of the goal of life is to not remain unknown, but for everybody to sort of know you. And the approval of other people is really important. But on the frontier, it's the glory of God. That's the desire of your heart. So the faith frontier requires risk. We also said that the faith frontier requires relocation. That's the movement and change that are necessary to follow Jesus. We did this last week just by a quick recap. God's will for your life is to make you more like Jesus. Is there anything that can happen in your life where you are right now that you would become more like Jesus? In other words, are you, have you arrived yet, right? Now, in order for you to become more like Jesus, what's going to have to happen? You're going to have to change. <laughs> so what's the last big change that God brought about in your life? Have you moved from complaining to contentment? Have you moved and changed from bitterness to joy? Have you moved from impatience and irritability to to patience and kindness? Have you moved from lustful uh, indulgence to self-control? Have you moved from self-centeredness to putting others first? Have you moved from being a timid gospel witness to a bold gospel witness? And just real quick again, friends, if God brings about change in your life, it's always for your good. Now, we're going to move to the third sort of R. We've talked about risk, and we've talked about relocation. Now the third R, and some of you are a little bit like me, and when you've got a little outline there, and it's got some fill in the blanks, I'm going to have to divulge a confession to you. We're not going to cover it all today. So a little OCD, and the goal of the sermon, nobody's really like this, I understand, but if you want to get all the blanks filled in, and the reason for that is I wrote the outline early in the week, and then the more I studied, the more I said, we just need to sort of focus on two today instead of all four. But what we're going at is that the faith frontier is going to require some resources. That's what we're going to talk about today. Faith frontier, you're going to walk by faith. If you're going to really be out there, you're going to need some resources. That's the relationships and supplies needed to refresh 
and replenish as we continue on the frontier. Now we've been using uh, our dear friends over at Little House on the Prairie to uh, just think through this. So I wanna put a picture on the screen. Some of you still haven't watched Little House on the Prairie and that's okay. We're gonna, we're gonna demonstrate great patience with you. I think I've got a picture, do I have a picture? There's the picture, all right. Now, how many of you right off the bat say, I know that. Now, who owns the mercantile? That's the place where you would get the supplies, right? Who knows? Go and shout it out. Are they nice people? Well, that's the interesting, yeah, yeah, that's a debate, right? Maybe one of the couples that ran it was a little nicer than the other. We won't go into that. Actually, go on and put the, uh, yeah, let's just call her out. But we're just going to call her out. <laughs> Call her out. Just, I'm going to say a lot because you don't have anything nice to say. You don't say anything at all, right? But on the frontier, you know, Pa and Ma and the children, they're regularly needing to go to the store for supplies and, and you need some, some uh, you know, I don't even really know what you mean. I mean I'm, I'm a city boy, so, you know, some stuff pictured there, some stuff in jars and cans and yarn and whatever that says yardage, fancy and plain. Okay, so, so, um, I want you to know that you're going to need resources, but you have a good father who wants to give good gifts to his children. We, we don't have Miss um, Olson. <laughs> there are things that you need on the frontier that without them, you will turn back. You will return to the settlement and not make it further on the frontier. I mean, you just think about it in those days, it's 1848, you're gonna, you're in Independence, Missouri, and you weren't going to pack up to head out. What are some of the things that you know you will need on the frontier? What do you know that you're gonna need? You can start making a list, right? Now, we set out with risk, what the Bible says, Abraham set out not knowing where he was going, but we don't set out recklessly. There's some things we know, I'm headed out, and it might not be that I have every bit of everything that I'm going to need, but I'm going to have some things. And it's going to be a combination of here's what we're taking with it, and then here's some things that are going to have to be replenished as we go. Just think about it this way. I uh, was reading some uh, historical accounts of people who went out on the frontier, and one of the uh, uh, men who went out, he wrote this. It's around 1848, I believe. He says, to enjoy such a trip, a man must be able to endure heat like a salamander, mud and water like a muskrat, dust like a toad, and labor like a donkey. He must learn to eat with his unwashed fingers. Moms, are you okay? We all right? Most frequently heard phrase in my house. Go wash your hands. Got to drink out the same vessel as his mules. Sleep on the ground when it rains, share his blanket with the vermin, and have patience with mosquitoes. Oh, mercy. We know a little bit about something, we know a little something about that around here this month, don't we? It says, he must cease to think except of where he may find grass and water and a good camping place, right? So there's some things he's got to have with you. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to start it today, two things today, and we'll cover two things next Sunday for you to live by faith 
here are the resources that you're going to need. And we're going to start with this. Number one on the list is you are going to need regular time in the Word of God. Amen? You're going to have to have regular time in the Word of God. Here's another, um, here's another diary entry. Actually, this isn't a diary entry. This is just a, a history book on the subject of the Oregon Trail. It says, in addition to the discomfort and monotony of life on the trail, settlers were subject to an expansive array of dangers and calamities. Since the wagons moved so slowly, many immigrants, particularly children, got lost when they straggled behind for too long, wandered off looking for flowers and berries, or attempted to hunt while traveling. Though many made their way back to the camps, some were thought to have fallen prey to wild animals, or kidnapped, or left behind. In other words, one major danger is a loss of direction. Second, disease proved to be the biggest killer of immigrants in the West. Smallpox, cholera, tuberculosis, diphtheria, typhoid, quote, mountain fever, and a host of other sicknesses frequently struck down settlers who had little or no medical expertise. Scurvy caused by the lack of fresh fruits and vegetables for months at a time was also commonplace. So two great dangers. One, a loss of direction. And two, disease that's the result of an unhealthy diet. Does everybody know where I'm going? with when we say well, you need regular time in the Word of God. If you don't have regular time in the Word of God, you know what's going to happen in your life? You're going to lose direction. And life is just like you're wandering around. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you've been. You know what you're here for. You say, as, as you live through life, what, what, where am I, what, what direction am I even supposed to be headed, right? If you don't have regular time in the Word of God, that's what's going to happen. And second, you're going to get very unhealthy in your soul. Very unhealthy. Jesus said, um, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but on what? Tell me out. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Look with me in Galatians chapter 1. Again in verse number 17. Paul, this is talking about in the immediate days after he was born again. He says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, what's going on here? I've always loved this book. I read it 20 some odd years ago. It's Chuck Swindoll in uh, around 1995, 96, he was writing. Uh, books on great men and women of the faith, and, and this is his book on the Apostle Paul. And he's talking about Paul's life as described in Galatians chapter 1, that Paul went away, right? He said, God had revealed his son to me, and then I went away. And what was Paul doing when he went away? Chuck Swindoll says, for three years, Saul lived somewhere in the desert, cut off from his former manner of life, listen to these words, in solitude quietness and obscurity now how many of you have heard of the name the apostle paul everybody in this room right what did he say in galatians 1 he said they did not know me by face is what he's saying right he says 
I was still, verse 22, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So nobody knew who I was. They were only praising God because of me that they heard he who used to persecute the faith is now preaching the faith, right? Solitude, quietness, and obscurity. Those are the requirements necessary to spend regular time in the Word of God, and there might not be three things less practiced in American culture in 2018. But the reason we all know the Apostle Paul is that God used him mightily, and God used him mightily in large part because Paul learned to walk with God before he ever had a ministry for God. Does that make sense? How long did Paul spend out in obscurity? Three years. How long had the apostles spent with Jesus? Three years. Uh, Chuck Swindoll goes on to say, do the math and you come up with well over a thousand days unaccounted for in Saul's life. A thousand plus days that he most likely spent alone, all alone, thinking, praying, wrestling from within, listening to the Lord. If he had ever been addicted to popularity, he lost the urge to pursue it during those years in the desert. I no longer live for the approval of men, right? Chuck Swindoll goes on to write, I'm convinced it was there in the barren place of obscurity that Paul developed his theology. He met God intimately and deeply. Silently and alone, he plumbed the unfathomable depths of sovereignty, depravity, the deity of Christ, the miraculous power of the resurrection, the church, future things. It became a three-year crash course. Go on, this is all good, but I'll just quote one more part here. It was there, no doubt, he concluded, whatever things were gained to me, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He had been so busy, active, engaged, advancing, and zealous. The same words describe many Christians sitting in churches today, and therein lies our problem. We're not busy doing all the wrong things or even a few terrible things. We're certainly not persecutors or destroyers, but if the truth were known, we'll go for miles on fumes, all the while choking the life-giving spirit from within. In other words, the Paul learned to spend regular time with the Lord. Now, here's the immediate objection, right? You might sit there and say, I don't have three years to go sit in the desert, right? So can I give you an application, though? You might not have three years, but I want to tell you, if you are going to pursue Jesus on the front air, front frontier, you do need to find some time, Right? You do need to find some time to be replenished, to be renewed. What we're doing is a big part of that. This is sort of like circling the wagons as we're on the trail, right? That we're just going to come together and regroup and replenish and rest. But you might not have three years. I know that. But I want to commend to you. I've just brought out all my, all my favorite books today. I want to commend to you something that John Stott writes in his book, Between Two Worlds. When it comes to study in God's Word. He gives a real practical plan, and I appreciate it, and I, it's been helpful for my life. He says, the minimum I would do, spending time in the Word of God, at minimum, every day at least an hour, every week at least a morning, afternoon or evening, every month a full day, and every year a week. It's a pretty good counsel, isn't it? You don't have three years to go. But have you ever thought to your life, uh, you know, of all the things that you plan to do, have you ever planned to just be alone with the Lord in his word? Now, that's immediately challenging for us 2018 Americans, isn't it? Because we can't really go four minutes without 
getting a device, getting a screen, looking at something, you know, so on and so forth. You can't. Now, here's the test for you. If you think that's not you, just put your phone down this afternoon and see how long it goes before you go <laughs> picking it up. Again, but what I'm telling you is you will, you will burn out, give up, get discouraged, turn back if you don't invest in this resource. One, something real simple and practical. We all know, we all know that we should read the Bible. I mean, nobody, when we put that on the screen today, regular time in the Word, I didn't hear anybody go, that's the most amazing original idea I've ever heard. No. As your body needs food, your soul needs the Word, right? And if you go long periods of time without eating, you get hungry. I don't even go long periods of time, quite frankly. I go, let's just move on. But I do want to tell you, if you can go long periods of time and don't have a hunger for his word, friends, what, what would happen, what would you conclude if you could go long periods of time without eating? What if you could stretch days together, weeks together, months together, and you never had to eat? What would you conclude? You're not alive, right? That's, that's the only way that that could happen. What would you conclude if you could go days and weeks and months without ever being here in the Word. And so to use that food analogy, as we come together for Bible study, or you participate in Bible studies and, and love things like that, that's sort of like going to the restaurant where somebody else has, has uh, made the meal, and then personal Bible study on your own on a daily, ongoing basis is sort of like you cook at home and, and, and eat. So where I'm going with this is just real quick, just a real simple plan, is set aside some time every day, get a Bible, and uh, I always use a little legal pad, just a little blank piece of paper. And two places I would suggest starting, if you're not in the regular, you've not in the habit of being regularly in the Word, First John or the Gospel of John. And read either a chapter or half a chapter a day, and with your blank sheet of paper, answer two questions on the front end. Number one, what did this passage just teach me about God, who He is, His ways? What, is this, what did I just learn from here? And then two, what does this teach me about myself? What does this scripture teach me about me? If you start doing that regularly, that's how you get this book to talk back. And he'll talk back. He'll speak to you through, through the word. I think it's helpful to uh, give a warning while we're here. And the warning is implied here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So here's the warning. Always prioritize regular time in the word of God even above regularly listening to teachers of the word of God. Because there's a warning here. So he's saying, even if we, who's the we? Paul. This happens, friends. There are people who once preached the gospel accurately, faithfully, consistently, and then they turn to a different gospel. Now, we are so blessed. We are so blessed to live in the times that we live in where there's such great teaching that is accessible you can get on your phone right now and download about 50,000 sermons better than the one that you're listening to right now. I know that. It's podcasts and blogs and conferences, and there are 
wonderful opportunities, but don't trade in the regular participation in those sorts of things at the expense of just you, just a word, just listening, just praying. Now, it's important that we balance these things because some people go too far down, and I hear some people say this, oh, I don't go to church, it's just me and Jesus. Well, friends, (laughs) if you have that mindset, I respectfully question what book you're reading because this is the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. God has redeemed you to be in community with other believers, and we're kind of, nobody's out on the frontier on their own, amen? But at the same time, at the same time, the center, 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 the core, core, core is learning to spend regular time, your own life, in his word. If not, there will be a loss of direction, or there will be a spiritual disease that takes over good bible bible study questions to ask in addition to what does this teach me about god what does this teach me about myself you read a passage of scripture just on your sheet of paper you mark in this passage that i read is there a command to obey is there a promise to trust is there an example to follow is there a warning to heed is there a sin to avoid and as you ask those questions that's how god will speak to you through his word because that's what those are the questions that the bible is asking so make time to be in the word a priority over any single person's teaching of the word i love podcasts got a playlist 10 messages long on my phone but i will tell you i will tell you that the times that god has most clearly spoken to me is when i get a passage of scripture and i just take a walk with it this sounds odd i know this is just how how I'm, i'm wired get a passage of scripture galatians 1 just say, I'm going to learn what this says, right? And then I just seek to take a walk with the Lord. I know that sounds silly, but I read that in the Bible. God loves to take walks. Walk with him in the cool of the day. That teaches me that humanity actually is sinful, right? <laughs> God, cool, cool in the day. When Jesus was resurrected out of the tomb, do you know what he did that day? He took a walk. He spent most of his resurrection day taking a walk with these two witnesses, and he talk, took a walk to Emmaus. And so get the word of, and, and be a, become a meditator of Scripture. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in its season. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. It's a good warning for us from the Scripture. And I will tell you, friends, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but everything increasingly in our culture is aligned against the deep meditation of Scripture. We are so incredibly distracted. You will not last on the frontier scrolling through social media for hours on the end. Because most everything you're going to read on there, not everything, most everything you're going to read, you know what is the headlines? All the headlines of the settlement. And then you set your heart on that. It's inevitable that you're going to turn off the frontier and say, man, we want to go back do not love the world or the things in the world for everything that's in the world is fading away. The resource that you're going to need is regular time in the word of God. Secondly, and we'll do two, so this will be the last one that we do. You're going to need godly friends who encourage and challenge you. Godly friends who encourage and challenge you. The same history book on the pioneer days. It says, before starting out for their new homes, many settlers banded together 
into parties or companies for safety and assistance while in transit. Parties were often comprised of people from the same town or the same extended family who were pursuing a new life in the West. The goal of organizing any immigrant party was to ensure that there would be plenty of people and supplies for any adversity that might arise from fording rivers to fighting off attacks to making wagon repairs. What would you call a group of believers who band together to live life on the frontier? What would you call that? Look in Galatians chapter 1 and who this is addressed to. Verse 2. Well, let's just go and read all verse 1 and 2. <laughs> Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead to the, all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Two things. Paul's saying, I got a lot of folks standing with me writing to you and we're writing a group of people. The Bible is not most frequently addressed to individuals. It's most frequently addressed to the people of God. You've got to have godly friends who encourage and challenge you and prayerfully a wonderful resource to find people like that is in your church. Just look at the individuals that Paul mentions in Galatians and just in these first two chapters. One, two, all the brothers who are with me uh, verse 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Verse 19, James, the other apostles, the Lord's brother. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And goes on to say in verse 3, even Titus, who was with me. And verse 15, this is some, a place he has to challenge a brother in the Lord. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. We'll put a picture on the screen of someone you'll recognize. Who knows who the man with the beard is? What's his name? Mr. Edwards, right? Don't you love Mr. Edwards? Who's the guy that's a little tougher? Who's the guy with the mustache and the hat? All right. So these are two men Paul had in his life, and they what, what were they doing for Paul? They helped him. He wasn't alone kind of think of it in a Paul and Barnabas or Paul and Silas type mentality and we see this all through the Bible don't we all throughout the scripture Paul's always got a couple things going on someone he's learning from someone he's learning with and someone he's teaching you need all three of those relationships going on on the frontier somebody that you're learning from somebody that you're learning with and someone that you are teaching that's the model that we see in Paul's life, and it's the one modeled with Jesus. Paul's a great teacher because he was so teachable. He's eager to invest in others. He's willing to challenge Peter himself when Peter gets out of step. But he never, 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 ever, for all his gifts, ever thought that he didn't need other believers. So who are you banded together with? Who are you traveling together with? Let me give you an exhortation. Develop Christian friendships, not just friendships with Christians. Do you understand the difference? Develop Christian friendships, not just friendships with Christians. Who are you banded together with? Who is spurring you on towards Christ? And who is, who is it that in your life you can sit down with and be honest with? We're going to say, man, here is what is a challenge in my life right now. If you don't have someone, can we hear the warning together? It is inevitable that you will burn out, exhaust, or turn back on the frontier. 
Nobody. Now, I know we have these great westerns of, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood and, and um, Charlton Heston. It was Charlton Heston Commandments. So I was thinking of John Wayne. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. And, uh, and they're out there on their own. It's just them and their horse and their rifle and so on and so forth. But that's not real life. It's not Paul. It's not Moses. It's not David. On the frontier, wagon wheels break. Food grows scarce, sun beats down, rivers flood. That's why Moses needs Aaron. That's why David needs Jonathan. That's why Ruth needs Naomi. That's why Esther needed Mordecai. That's why Mary needs Elizabeth. We see it over and over. The godliest man, according to Jesus, the greatest man was John the Baptist. You know when he became discouraged? When he was cut off from his friends. It's why Elijah became discouraged before Elisha was in his life. It's why once David sent Joab to fight his battles in 2 Samuel 11 and was alone in the palace, his heart wandered to Bathsheba. They lost direction or lost a healthy diet for a lack of godly encouragement and godly counsel. You need someone in your life who asks you at least once a week face to face, how is your walk with Jesus going this week? And you answer the question with 100% honesty and sincerity. If you do not have that person, you are lacking a resource that you need. It's not supplemental, it's fundamental for life on the frontier. Now we're living in strange times, friends. We're living in times when we post on social media all kinds of details about our lives, but don't have true friendships. I am increasing in my admiration daily for the older generation among us that didn't put all their business out there for everyone to see, but had one or two or three close confidants. I think it's a wiser approach to life. Do you have someone in your life that you love and you trust? Would you be willing, if not, if not, would you be willing to have a conversation with one or two friends to say, let's make our friendship truly Christian? We need each other, friends. I shared with you before that when I was in school, I always dreaded the thought of a group project. Friends, frontier life and your sanctification is a group project. You do need regular time in the Word of God, but listen to me. And anybody, and anybody who doesn't also need other believers to help us. Sometimes we don't get what the Word is saying correct, and we need somebody to come along and say, well, well, that's not quite what this is <laughs> teaching, right? And we kind of band together. Take inventory of your wagon. Are you missing something that you'll need? Do you need to resupply one or two of these things? I'll go in and um, tell you we got two more to go next week, but we're going to stop here for this week. Now, you don't have a literal wagon on your pew, I know, but just take inventory. Not in a guilt-ridden, okay, I got to sort of way. Do you spend regular time in God's Word? The same way that you spend regular time eating physical food, do you spend regular time in his word? If not, you need to cultivate. And again, I think it's a good habit. Every, uh, every day, 30 minutes to an hour. Every week, an extended period, a morning and evening. Every uh, month, uh, a fuller day. And every year, you just, I think it's helpful for your life. Every year, you just go get to a quiet place of solitude. Or second, do you have an, a, a godly friendship, somebody who can really encourage you and challenge you? We need both, don't we, to live life on the frontier. Well, let's stand together. We'll pray together. We'll enter our time of invitation together.
Father, thank you for Jesus. That Jesus is the very word of God come in the flesh. And he is the godliest friend we have. He will always give us the encouragement and the challenges that we need. Thank you that we're not sent out on the frontier on our own to figure it out. That you go with us. So I pray that we are a place that hungers for your word. And also a place where we can develop friendships beyond surface relationships and we really go uh, deeper into honesty and and we really help each other. God, that none of us in this room feel like we're about this just on our own. Use this invitation time for us to resolve some things, to take inventory of, uh, of our life. God, thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would help us to leave behind the ease and comfort of the settlement, trusting that life with Christ on the frontier is far better. In Jesus' name, amen.